Well, good morning and welcome to Soul City Church, whatever time of day you think it is. It is good. It doesn't matter. You're here. That's all that matters. And people will be walking in all throughout the next hour. So we welcome anyone, no matter what time they get here. Uh, it is so good to, to see you. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors uh, here at Soul City. And I am like genuinely, authentically grateful to be a part of what God's doing in this city and around the world through this little local church. You are an un believable group of uh, people. And before we uh, dive into the message today, which I'm so excited to share with you, I wanted to let you know uh, by way of update some stuff that God's doing in our church. If you were here at our anniversary, our eight-year anniversary back in November, Jeannie and I talked about our 2020 vision, where we see God taking us over the course of these next few years. And we talked about the big six, these big six, only God-sized um, things that are driving our church for the next two years. So I just wanted to give you some quick updates uh, on that. One of the, the big six things that we had to do first was form a big six leadership team. And so we've done that and we're very excited. We have folks that have taken point over each of these initiatives and we are already moving forward with multiple ones of those initiatives. In fact, uh, when it comes to starting another church, our church is going to be launching another church in the next two years. And we've actually brought in a consultant, but that sounds very official. Uh, they're actually from our church. They know our church, and yet they are a master of logistics and demographics and helping us understand kind of the, the where and the who and the how and all that sort of stuff. And so we've already uh, met several times with them, and we are so excited about what God's getting clear, how he's bringing that vision clearer and clearer for our church, for our next church that we get to start together. And then the next thing I wanted to let you know about is we talked about our house of hope, a place where anyone can come when they hit a wall when the bottom falls out. And all of us have had moments and seasons like that in our life. In fact, you may be here today because you're in one. We want to create a place of healing and help and hope. And we are praying for, and we would ask you to pray for, a leader to lead that. Someone who gets care and compassion and knows how to help people heal, but also is a leader that can lead the many different ways that we do that. And so we are praying and actively searching for that person. And so there's lots of movement and activity, but just wanted to give you an update. And the reason why is because we're about to take a moment to respond to God's goodness in our lives. We get to say thanks to God. And when you do, that is what moves this church forward. We, it is one of the ways that God uses to move this church forward, to help us see the dreams that God has given us become a reality. And it is no small thing for you to be a part of the big things that God is doing in this church. And so I just wanted to let you know that, that we talk about how God does that work through our church or literally around the world here in the city of Chicago, but then he also does that work in us where God loosens the grip that our stuff can have on us, frees us up to really trust him at deeper levels. And so that's why we respond to God. Does that make sense? We don't do it out of guilt or obligation. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. That's not the reason why we do it. We do, we do it joyfully because we see it all as a gift and we want God to do much with what he's entrusted to us. So... I'm going to invite our host team to come forward right now. They're amazing volunteers here at Soul City. And uh, you can give the old school way. We give three ways around here. You can give the old school way, which is in the buckets that are going to be passed right now. Or you can actually text in to give. Maybe if you didn't happen to bring a wallet because who carries cash anymore? Uh, you can text in to give or you can sign up online. That's how the majority of our church actually does it, is they give joyfully, faithfully online. And that's how Gene and I do it. And we would encourage you to check that out. Now, we are in, as Lindsay mentioned, a teaching series 
called As It Is in Heaven. We are camping out on a couple words that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 6, in that famous prayer that maybe you heard or practiced praying growing up, the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy... I'm saying it old school. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what we want to do all the way up and through Easter is look at what does that mean for our lives to look more like a glimpse of heaven? How do we get more of there here? What does that actually look like in our everyday lives? And today what I want to do is I want to wrestle with the fundamental spiritual, I would say a soul level question that all of us have asked in one form or another. I, as, as a pastor, I get asked this question all the time. People ask me this question. And again, they don't always say it like this, but I just did it like this so you'd remember it. The question basically is this. What do I got to do to get in good with God? <laughs> you know, people will come to me like I got an inside line, you know, because I'm a pastor. Like, apes, you know, God, what do I got to do to get in good with God? Right? So like, I, I get it. <laughs> they don't really talk like that. But you get the idea, right? That question, that's a fundamental spiritual question. What do I have to do to sort of, to get in good with God, to make up for the stuff that I've done in the past, to help me kind of do the right things in the future. What do I got to do to actually get in good with God? We ask it lots of different ways. I believe that is a fundamental spiritual question that all of us ask. And the answer that most people, lots of people land on when it comes to that question can be summed up in one word, a one word answer to that big spiritual question. And the answer that people tend to land on is religion. Religion is what we say, okay, that's how I answer the question of what do I got to do to get in with God? It's religion. We turn to religion, and it makes a ton of sense to do that, but it couldn't be any more wrong of an answer. It is not a satisfying or complete answer to that question. Think of it this way. Um, I want you to think about a sport that you really love to play as a kid. Like, really love to play it. It doesn't matter if you were good at it or not. You just love to play it, right? What was something that you couldn't wait for recess to be able to go outside and play or couldn't wait till school was over to go outside and play with your friends? Loved playing it on the weekend. What was that first sport that you fell in love with? Do you have a thought of what that is? Here's what I want you to do. Turn to the person next to you. Take 15 seconds so you don't have to, like, give a long dissertation on it. Just a one-word answer. What was the first sport you remember really falling in love with? Go ahead. Turn to the person next to you and answer that question. Any basketball folks here? Like, that was your sport growing up? Yep, loved playing that. Any soccer? I know we got a lot of soccer folks. Yep, yep, soccer folks. Uh, any tetherball kids? Any kids willing to admit that they were tetherball kids? Yep, I see you. I see you. I see you. Awesome. Uh, yeah, we all had, like, for me, kickball was the one. I just loved kickball. I mean, I, I, got, a, I got a killer wind up on that kick. And so I loved playing kickball anytime I could play it. And the deal is, you probably at some point fell in love with a sport. The reason, anyone football? Did anyone actually say football? Okay, okay. You fell in love with it because you loved how it felt to play. You loved the idea that you got to play with other kids. You got to play with something that was fun. You got to actually enjoy this thing. You loved it. And you fell in love with the game. And then it was only later that you learned that there's actually rules to the game. Right? 
There's rules to the game, and that makes sense. We understand why there's rules to the game. Rules to the game actually are helpful. They help you know how to play fairly. They help you know how to play consistently when you're playing with other kids from other schools. Like, you got to have the same, similar set of rules. They let you know kind of what's in, right, and what's out. They let you know uh, where to start and where to stop. They let you know uh, which ones you can use your hands in and which ones you can't use your hands in, right? The rules actually are helpful, but you didn't actually start with the rules. Here's the deal. You did not fall in love with the sport that you love to play because of the rules. That's not why you fell in love with it. No one falls in love with anything because of the rules. Imagine asking a young kid, why do you love to play football so much, Tommy? I just love the no excessive celebration in the end zone rule. <laughs> Who says that? No one says that. And in fact, that's your favorite part of football, right? Is that you get to do a touchdown dance, right? No one actually falls in love with the game because of the rules. The rules aren't the point of the game. Now, what does that have to do with God? Because this, this is religion. It's the rules. It's the rules that we often make the point of the game. It's thinking that the rules are the whole point of the game. And they're not. They're actually not. So why would we think that to get in good with God, we got to make sure that we always play by the rules, right? Why would anyone think that that's the way that you get in good with God, is you got to figure out what the rules are and how to play it, and then, okay, if I just do that, then I'll be in good with God. i got to make sure that I actually... Do it the right way. Why do people do that? Well, honestly, because it's safer. It's safer. Just tell me what the rules are, and I know, and I can play the game. It's easier, a lot easier that way. I don't have to think as much. don't have to feel as much. Just tell me where to go and what to do when I get there. And it's honestly, it gives you something to do. It gives you something to do. It helps you kind of figure out how to do it. Just kind of tell me what I got to do. Got to make sure that I pray these prayers at this certain time of day. Got to make sure that I read my Bible, you know, for this many minutes in the morning. Got to make sure that I go to church every week, you know, or every other week, once a month. I'll watch online. At some point, I'll watch online, right? Just kind of tell me what the rules are so I know how to play the game. I got to make sure that I stay in between the lines. As long as I stay in between the lines, then I'm going to get in good with God. And when I make it all about the rules... When I make it all about the rules, do you know what I make God? He's just a referee. And if you wonder if God's ever felt distant from you, if you feel like God's always mad at you or always busting you, it could be because you've made him just a, nothing more than a referee in your life. And you've made it only about the rules. <laughs> When I make it all about the rules, then I make God nothing more than a referee. This is why Richard Rohr said so brilliantly that religion is one of the safest places to hide from God. This is one of the safest places to hide from God. Why is that? Because it's safer. It's easier. There's a lot that I can do for God while completely missing the point of being with God. God and experiencing what it is that he's done for me. 
And as we're looking at how it is that we can experience more of heaven in our everyday lives, there's a hugely important thing that you have to pay attention to that's so easy to miss. In fact, I would say most well-intended, spiritually-minded people tend to miss this reality, and it's just true. You can look it up for yourself when I'm done here today. But here's the deal. You've got to pay attention to this. There is no religion in heaven. Amen. Did you know that? There's no religion in heaven. And I don't know what religion you were raised with or weren't raised with, but here's some good news for you. It's not going to be in heaven. There is no religion actually in heaven. You simply can't find any mention of it anywhere in the Bible about there being religion in heaven. There's no talk about the right way to do communion in heaven. None of the angels are having a a debate about infant baptism in heaven or making sure that you do enough of the right stuff to make up for all the bad stuff that you've done. It's just not there. There's no religion in heaven because religion is something we created to fill the space of mystery. This is something that we actually came up with. God said, come, play with me, come, play with me. And do you know what we said? What are the rules? What are the rules? Let me know what's in, what's out, what do I got to do? When do I got to show up? How do I got to dress? And we may have, you may have actually missed the whole point of what God has been about. Religion has its place. I want to be really clear. It has its place, but it cannot take the place of God. I'm going to say that again for some folks, maybe who need to hear that again. Religion does have its place. It has its place. But it cannot take the place of God. It simply is a poor substitute for God. It can help you with the how, but it makes a terrible why. And if that's what you've banked on, you are eventually going to hit the wall with that. You just, it just simply cannot take the place of God. Now, do I think that you should read your Bible? Yeah, I totally think you should read your Bible. It's filled with life-transforming wisdom that can literally change and even save your life. Do I think you should pray? Yeah, I totally think you should pray. In fact, I think we should pray more often and much bigger prayers than we're actually praying. Do I think you should go to church? Yeah, I like seeing you. It's great to see you. And where else do you have this in your life? Of course those things are important, and they absolutely have their place, but they can never take the place of God of actually being in relationship with God. And so what I want to do is look at, just for a moment, of what it's actually all about. If it's not about this, then what's it actually all about? So to do that, I want you to grab a Bible, and I want you to open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you have a Bible with you, fantastic. Got it on your phone. Awesome. If not, there should be a Bible right under your seat. Go ahead. Just reach right there and make sure it's there. It's right, uh, right under your seat or on your seat if you're in the balcony. Grab that, and you can turn to page 947 in the Soul City Bible, page 947. We'll get you to Ephesians chapter 2. Let me give you some quick context to Ephesians chapter 2. It wasn't written as a book of the Bible. It was written as a letter to a group of churches, and it was written by the apostle Paul. Paul wasn't actually a physical follower of Jesus while he was on earth, but came to know Jesus a little bit later in his life. Now, to know something about Paul is to know that he had built up until Jesus, he had built his whole life on this, on the rules. He had built his whole life on religion. He was a religious zealot, and he knew all the rules and kept all the rules. In fact, this is just a little bit, you know, like humility for you here on a Sunday morning. You on your best day, right? You at your absolute spiritual best. 
is still only half as good as Paul on his worst day, right? I mean, he just knew how to do it all. And then he encounters Jesus. He encounters grace, and it absolutely destroys his life in the best possible way. Turns everything upside down. And so here, Paul paints this beautiful picture of a, and a promise that God gives us of what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Why he does it, and even how he does it. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. And I should say this. I pause lots of times when we're teaching from the Bible because I want you to say the next word. I'm going to be doing that a lot over these next couple of verses, okay? So when I pause, it's not because I lost my place. It's because I want you to join in. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yes. So I want you to pay attention to the language here. It's incredibly important. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But, speaking about God here, but because of his great what? His great love for us, God who is rich in what? Mercy. Mercy made us alive with Christ. Pay attention to this. Even when we were dead in transgressions. I'll get to that in a second. Then he goes on to say this. It is by what? It is by grace you have been saved. Now, this is what Paul is trying to paint a picture about here. First and foremost, it begins with God's love and mercy, that God loves you before you even knew who God was, that he loves you and extends mercy on mercy on mercy, unmerited grace upon grace upon grace to you and to me. And out of that great love, which is the very existence, the very nature of God, God actually gives us his son, Jesus, who brings us to life. And I love this language. When we, even when we, even when we were dead in our transgressions. What are transgressions? Well, transgressions are anything that you and I do that take the place of God. Anything that you and I do that we put in the place of God. Anything that you and I do that take us away from God. So our transgressions, another word you might be familiar with is sin. Anything that we do that keeps us or breaks us from unity and union with God. Paul says when we were dead, even when we were dead, boom, Christ brings us to life. Even when, even when you've tried your best, even when you failed your worst, it's God's grace that he extends to us even when we don't deserve it or expect it. He goes on to say this in verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ, and look at where he places us, and seated us with him in the what? In the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, through even when we were dead and lost and far from God, he brings us to life, but that's not only it, he gives us a place, and he seats us right next to Jesus in the heavenly realms. Paul's saying it's already done, it's already secure through Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his what? His grace expressed in his what? Kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Do you, does that sound like a ref to you? <laughs> Love, mercy, kindness, grace. Even when, even when, even when, he still, he still, he still brings us to life and gives us a place seated next to Jesus in heaven. It's grace, it's grace, it's grace. Grace gives us a place that we don't deserve. Grace gives us a purpose we couldn't have ever imagined. And grace gives us a promise that has been sealed and secured through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And as if it weren't enough, if you didn't pick up on the theme that Paul's putting down here, he says it one more time for the folks in the back. Verse 8, for it is by what? It is by grace you have been saved 
through faith. We're going to come back to that in a second. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. This religion that we create, the rules, who's in, who's out, how to do it, that's of ourselves. But grace through faith, that is not from us. It is a gift of God, not by works or anything you got to do to get in good with God so that no one can boast, so that no one can step back and say, see, I mastered the code. See, I did it all on my own. See, I figured it all out. I'm the most spiritual person you know. Now, listen, I, w- I didn't tell this to the last service. I went to a, a Christian high school, and they gave out awards every year, you know, like cutest smile, best dressed, you know. Do you know we had an award in my high school, most spiritual? <laughs> if that's not messed up, I don't know what is. And every- let me tell you, the person who won that, everyone loved them. Just imagine. I did not win most spiritual. <laughs> I just want to be really clear. I wasn't even in the running for that one. So that no one can boast. Why? What's the point that Paul's making? It's all about grace. It's all about grace. It's all about grace. It's all about grace. Grace is God's long story short. It's the entire work he's been doing throughout all of human history. Everything in the Old Testament, New Testament, right up to today. It's his long story short. It's what he has always been about. It's what he is always about. And this is what religion often misses. It's that it's not about what you do. You know this, right? It's not about what you do for God. It's about what God has done for you. That's the point. It's not about how you play by all the rules and make sure you get it all right. It's not about what you do for God. It's about what he has done for you. That's grace. Now, think of it this way. Um, Have you ever had an experience where you were at a restaurant, maybe you were out to eat or something, and, and the check came, and you went to go pay the bill, you know, or you asked the server, hey, can I pay the bill? Have you ever had an experience where someone had already paid for your meal for you or paid for dessert for you? Ever that happened to you? Yeah, it's the coolest feeling in the world, right? I asked the 830, and like two people had had that happen to them, so Y'all need to be nice to the 830. <laughs> but like, if you've ever had that, like you went to get it and someone's like, oh, don't worry, someone already covered that for you, right? Someone already paid for that for you. And I don't mean like in a weird way, like they're trying to get your number. I mean like someone just, maybe someone you know or something like that, or, or maybe you were sick or maybe you just had a, a baby and someone just took care of all the meals for you and you feel so loved in that moment. Isn't that a powerful feel? I love being able to do that for people. I ate out three times this last week and at two of them, I, it was my joy to pay for the meal, pay for the whole thing. And the other one, we have an every other agreement. So that's it's kind of worked out. It wasn't my week. I love being able to, to do that for people. I love being able to say, oh, this is my treat. This is my joy. In fact, no one's better at that than my wife, Jeannie. Just this week, Jeannie sent two different meals to two different friends who were having a really tough week. Just took care of it for them. Just sent it to them. And that's a powerful, I love being able to do that for people. I love being able to say, hey, take care of it. Take care. I, want to just, I want to take care of it. Do you know the only thing I love more than actually being able to do that for other people? It's when other people do that for me. I really love, I'm not going to lie to you. I really love when people do that for me. It's a really cool thing to just have that taken care of. And if you've ever had that happen to you in any capacity before, you, you can have a response, a feeling inside when someone does that for you, where you feel like, oh man, I need to make it up to them. Or oh, I need to pay them back or pay it forward or whatever language you want to use. And I think that completely misses the point of what that person was trying to do for you. They're just saying, hey, look, here's a gift. I just, let me take care of it. It's a small thing. Let me just take care of it. 
And for you to go, no, 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 I need to go back in the back and do the dishes and make up for you covering this meal. You've missed the whole point. And that's what grace is actually all about. That's why we make such a big deal about Jesus around here, because Jesus is the one who paid it all for everyone, all, even when, even when we were lost and dead in our sin. He paid it all. He covered it all. And he didn't do it so that you would make it up to him. You can't. You fundamentally, spiritually, can't. That's grace. That's what it's actually all about. Jesus was God's gift of grace to us. Think of it this way. He was grace with skin on. That we got to see and know what grace actually looks like, how grace actually acts and moves in this world. And it was Jesus who showed us how to live our lives, how to die to ourselves, and how to begin again in him. His life and death and resurrection are not only our way to God, but they are our way with God in this world. That he taught us how to live, how to die, to let go of anything that is keeping us from God, and then how to be transformed, how to be raised into new life with him. It's always been all about grace. In fact, just a, a quick caveat on that. Do you know the, the only people that Jesus had a bone to pick with? Do you know who they were? The only people where you ever see Jesus calling out publicly, like everyone else you see him interact with, it's grace, 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 grace. There was one group of people who Jesus had a different sort of reaction and response to. Anyone want to guess who it was? It was the religious leaders of his day. It was the, the people who had it all figured out, had it all mapped out, knew all the ins and outs, knew who was in and who was out. Jesus was like, no, you're missing the point. And as a recovering religious person, I need grace more than you will ever know. For my self-righteousness, for my blindness to my own sin, for all my attempts to make it up to God, to pay him back, I need grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And you do too. All of us do. We all actually need the same amount of grace, which is all the grace. All the grace. I need it. You need it. Every one of us needs it. Listen, when, when you get to that point where you cannot bring about the, the healing or the forgiveness that your heart desperately requires and you can't do it on your own, grace does. When you can't not, you just can't get yourself out of this rut that you're in and you, and you, and you, you can't seem to find your way through, grace does. When you can't seem to, to do enough good stuff to make up for the bad stuff or the good stuff that you didn't do, grace does. And you can't seem to move into the future God has for you because you're so bound by your past and you don't know how to heal and move forward. Grace does. When all of your doing is killing your being with God and you just don't want to do it anymore, grace does. Grace does. Grace is not a one-time event. It is an ongoing 
outgoing reality. It's more than just a way of getting to heaven one day. It's about experiencing heaven today. The presence, the mercy, the goodness, the love of God right here, right now, today. And some of the greatest evidence, as far as I'm concerned, some of the greatest evidence for grace actually being grace is that grace will not force itself upon you. Grace won't make you choose grace. Of all the things that grace does, there's one thing it won't do. It won't say yes for you. This is really important to understand. Grace says yes to you. That's God's yes to you. Grace says yes to you. But it can't say yes for you. Remember that part that we talked about in in Ephesians 2 just a little bit ago where we talked about it is by grace that you've been saved through faith? It is by grace that you've been saved. That's God doing his part. You cannot do that. Can't save yourself. I've tried. You've tried. Can't do it. That's God doing his part. Through faith, that's your part. That's you saying, yes, I believe it's enough. Yes, I believe he's enough. Yes, I believe I cannot do it on my own, that I need Jesus, that I need him in my life. I need to say yes to a grace-based relationship with Jesus. Again, God's already said yes to you. He's already done it all for you, already done all the things that you could not do on your own for yourself. The only thing left to do is to say yes to him. And I so desperately want for you to say yes to Jesus. The older I get, the more convinced I'm becoming that the message of my life to hear, to live, and to offer to you is just say yes. Say yes to God. I want you to say yes to Jesus. I want you to say yes to God's grace. I don't want you to settle for religion. I want you to experience heaven in your everyday life the very presence of God through the gift of grace. And I just, I want, I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to do that. I just don't want to miss this. I get asked all the time from, from people, what do you love most about Soul City Church? I love this church. Love this church. People say, what do you love about this church? And you know, I, there's a lot of things I could say about why I love this church. But what I don't tend to say is, I don't tend to say, I really love the decor we have just found so many shades of gray that are so beautiful <laughs> in this. <laughs> I don't say that. Jeannie says don't make fun of our decor. Sorry. Uh, so I, I don't talk about the decor. I don't talk about the building. I don't talk about our awesome systems. I don't even, I mean, this is maybe, I don't talk about our staff. I mean, I love our staff. That's not what I say. They get included in my answer. You know what my answer is? I love the people of this church. I love it. I love you. I love the people of this church. And one of the things I love about y'all is that people love being around you. You're an infectious group of people. Some of the kindest, most generous, imperfect folks I've ever been around. And I tell people all the time, these are some of the most like non-religious people you're ever going to meet. They're just trying to find Jesus and put him at the center of their everyday life. And because of that, because you were such an infectious group of people, people are drawn to this church. They even come on Daylight Savings Day to church. And they watch online. And I know, because a lot of my friends who are part of this church, it's really easy to get caught up in 
this church, what, what we're about here, what we're really trying to be about. And you can come here on Sundays and you actually like, maybe for the first time in your life, you like going to church. Your kids love going to church, right? Or you like the people that you sit with at church or you like sitting specifically in your seat every week. You have to sit in that seat every week, right? You like it, you like it, right? And then you get involved and you're in a small group and you're like, oh my gosh, I did the thing where I joined the group and it was awesome or I joined Alpha and it was awesome or maybe you got into a serving team. You're like, this is awesome. I'm actually, I'm, I'm giving back. I'm not only going to church, I'm like making it happen right? And it's very easy to get very caught up in the movement in this church. And all of that can happen without you actually ever taking a moment to say yes to Jesus. And I just want to, I just want to offer you a moment to just say yes. Yes to Jesus. Yes to his gift of grace. I love all that other stuff. It's incredibly important. It has its place, but none of that can take the place of Jesus. And so I just thought we could take a moment and pause for anyone here who wants to say, yes, oh God, thank you. It's your kindness, your mercy, your love, your grace that is calling me into relationship with you. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? I don't have all this figured out. I've tried before, I've messed it all up. But if you're telling me it's about a relationship with you, then I say yes. And I just wanna give you a chance to do that. And maybe for you, you said yes as a kid, you were younger and it was meaningful. It meant something to you then, but then life happened. A lot of stuff happened, and it's been a long time since you felt that closeness, that relationship with Jesus. And I want to give you a chance to say yes again, to come home. It's never too late. You've never gone too far. Remember what we just read? Even when, even when, even when, God still invites you to new life in Him. Or maybe you've never said yes to Jesus, that you can consciously remember of saying, no, I'm choosing this. I'm making Him my way for my life. I want you to do that today. I want you to feel the freedom to do that today. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go a little old school. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. We're gonna bow our heads. And we open our hands in prayer. I think it's a perfect posture. And for those of you who'd say, yeah, I'm in. I'm already in with Jesus. Like I got it. Then this is an awesome opportunity for you to thank him for the life, the relationship that he's given you. But if you have not said yes yet, to Jesus, formally, consciously said yes to him, or maybe it's been a long time since you have, I wanna pray for you, and all I want you to do is just say these words out loud back to me. Does saying them out loud mean God hear, like God hears them better? Nope. It's for you to consciously say, I am choosing this, and for you to hear that you're not the only one. So if you wanna say yes to a relationship with Jesus, if you wanna come back home to relationship with Jesus, if you wanna stop playing religion, then I want you to repeat these words after me. You ready? Say, Jesus, you are my way. I say yes to you. Thank you for your gift of grace. Thank you for saving me even when I was lost. Give me the life that you promised. Give me the peace that you promised. Give me the purpose that you promised through the filling of your Holy Spirit. Make me new like you promised you would do. Amen. Amen. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up and celebrate every person that just said yes to Jesus. We want to celebrate and say yes. And here's what I want to do. Stand up. I want to pray for our whole church right now. 
And I want us to worship out of a place of yes to Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you are the cornerstone of it all. You are God's gift of grace to us. We have nothing without you. And so thank you that you showed us how to live, how to die, and how to be raised into new life. You are our way, Jesus. And so we claim you as the cornerstone of it all. And we thank you for every new person that said yes to you, every person that came home to you. Right now, we're actually joined with angels rejoicing in heaven right now, declaring your worthiness, God, and celebrating new life. And so thank you for the promise that you've established a place for us in heaven, and it is there that we will worship you for eternity, and it's why we worship you now. In your name, amen.